Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre based in Holy Trinity Brompton here in London. Jane Williams, Mike Lloyd and the occasional guest join me, Graham Tomlin, in discussing God, life, theology, the Bible, in fact, just about everything. Hello and welcome to GodPod 77. That's the number for today. And uh, here we have the usual team. We have Jane. Hello. And we have Michael. Hello. And uh, we are all sitting here in our new studio at our new venue of St. Jude's uh, in Earl's Court. And uh, we are about to launch in on GodPod 77, which we're looking forward to a great deal, are we not? We are. That's the only way to look to it, really. Exactly. We have no biscuits today. Oh, no, that's a terrible oversight, isn't it? So yeah. I hope you can hear our voices over the rumbling tummy <laughs> noises. Exactly. Now, um, we have uh, quite a few emails that have come in, uh, including one which Jane particularly enjoyed, which said that uh, someone who attended a conference that we did a little while ago called The Holy Spirit in the World Today. And uh, she said, I attended The Holy Spirit in the World Today conference and found it enjoyable, informative and encouraging. Yay. During one of the coffee breaks, <laughs> I spoke to Jane Williams and thanked her for her contributions to Godpod, which I have listened to since it began. However, my mouth was working quicker than my brain, and I then said, I thought you'd be taller. (laughs) (laughs) It's only when I sat down that I realised what I'd said. Please pass on my apologies to Jane, (laughs) which we hereby do. I wonder if if she'd have thought I was shorter. Yeah, I I don't suppose people say that to you very often. No, people don't often say that they imagine I would be taller. But it's interesting, because when you hear somebody's voice, you do get... An, a mental yeah, impression do. of what they're like, don't you? Yeah. And, um, it, and it's often completely wrong. Yeah, so. someone came to me once saying, um, oh, I've listened to you on God, bud. Ooh, I thought you'd be a lot older than that. <laughs> not, not it's, you've obviously was it, got really? a, a very authoritative yes. and... Gravitas yes, and age yes, and so on. Yes. I'm not 75, honest. But I should just point out that I am the perfect height and anybody who is any other height is not the right height. <laughs> yes, that's interesting. It's about the same height as Napoleon, I believe, isn't it? It's, it often goes with kind of really? desire to take over the world. <laughs> I thought he was quite short. Yeah, he was, yeah. That's what I mean. I, 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 it's not that short. Sorry, this is this is this is I'm verging short. on. No, no, no. no. <laughs> yeah, we're not going to get getting down to business here. Are anyway, we? anyway, anyway. Um, well, the uh, we have a number of very interesting questions on today's list, and uh, the first one is um, well, a couple of questions around the whole area of free will. We seem to talk about this quite a lot, don't we? Mm. We do. Um, anyway, the question was the first one was uh, from Lucy from London, who asks a question about Judas. And she says, I have a question about predestination and free will, but focusing particularly on Judas. As Jesus was always going to die, as it was his ultimate purpose in order to save humanity, how much of a choice did Judas really have in betraying him? Surely somebody always had to. So should Judas really be held accountable for it? Could it not be argued that he was fulfilling God's purpose in his life? Or did he have free will in the matter? In which case, would God have a backup plan? I'm very confused by the whole issue of God's will and free will. So there's that specific one there about Judas. Did um, Judas have any choice? Can he be blamed in any way? Um, But then there's another question uh, from someone else who's also questioning one of the things that um, I think Mike has said in the past. Um, Shock horror. (laughs) (laughs) Saying that God can't get his way because we have free will. And um, this is Tim. Um, Not quite sure where Tim's from, but he... Uh, sends the email saying um is that true is it not more the case that um uh we don't actually have free will because our 
wills are sort of bent in a direction of choosing what is sinful rather than what is good and it's only through grace and the holy spirit that our wills are freed to choose what is good so in that sense we don't have free will so mm. there are some couple of questions all around the area of free will and that last point is is obviously true isn't it but i mean it, when st paul is talking about how um, that universal feeling that we all have that we know what we ought to do and we just don't do it um, so that so that we feel that we are actually being deformed by um, our lack of freedom to be what we long to be um, and it's exactly what St Augustine of Hippo said in the 4th century that actually our, our, free, our wills have been deformed by the fall so that we actually don't have the freedom mm. to choose and it's only in Christ that we begin to redirect our mm. desires towards their true source, which is God, and therefore begin to find our real selves. Yeah, and Augustine has a, a sort of trajectory in free will, doesn't he? That, that you know, we, we begin, I mean, his idea is that we begin, or Adam and Eve, or the first humans had in the garden, uh, in kind of the early days of humanity, um, that facility of choosing, and in other words, you know, being being able, being capable of not sinning. Um, then after the fall, we are um, we are incapable of not sinning. Mm. Um, but eventually, after grace and the Holy Spirit has done its work in us, we will ultimately be unable to sin. Um, so there's a kind of trajectory. So mm. the end is not the same as the beginning, mm -hmm. but that's how it goes. And that inability to sin won't be because we've been forced not to sin yeah. it will be because we have grown in, in closer and closer to god in in a way yeah. that forms our desires in a way that in theory we will be free to, to sin, sin but we, we never just, would want to why would you want to yeah. exactly right. in the same yeah. way that jesus in one sense was free to yeah. free to sin but chose not to we have become the sort of people who though free to are not going to because yeah. their character is so formed exactly and of course yeah. you can't do that at the beginning of the process you can't be created with a formed character yeah. character yeah. takes time sure. so when people say why didn't god make us such that we cannot sin yeah. um you can't do that at the beginning that's a kind of category mistake yeah it takes time exactly. it takes engagement it takes decision mm. and choices mm. and a lifetime of mm. sanctification and uh, and orientating one's life towards god that yeah. to make to enable one to be mm. such as mm. one isn't going to sit i mm. think and and so in that sense the question is is a good question isn't it? That, that when we talk in that sort of catch-all way about our free will um being the reason why god um doesn't always get his way um we are misusing the word free will, aren't we? Because we, we aren't free people. We are mm. enslaved people. That is true, but we're not enslaved by God. No. And that's the important thing. When yes. somebody sins, they, it is a sign of their slavery. Yes. But it's not a God-imposed slavery. Yeah. Uh, and it's still God not getting his way. Um, but we are caught up in all sorts of momentums, destructive momentums. Yes. Um, both other-inflicted and self-inflicted. Um, but they're not God inflicted. No. And so it still, I think, works for the God not getting his own way <coughs> line. Yeah. It, it is much more complex in terms of are we free or are we not? Because on the one hand, you're right, we're not free uh, to live a perfect life. We, we have an inbuilt uh, tendency to sin. On the other hand, we are responsible. Mm. And it's that tension. Mm. And we know that in any given case, we could have made the right decision. And we are free to reject what God is offering. We are free 
um, to reject that relationship in which we would actually find our freedom. <laughs> um, so that phrase that that service of God is perfect freedom is a helpful phrase, isn't it? Yes. Um, because that that is exactly what Augustine is arguing, that it's only actually as we relate to God that we find mm. the freedom to be who, we're re- who we really mm. long to be. Yes, I mean, we are free to do that which makes us unfree yeah. yes. we have the freedom to give up our yeah. freedom yeah. Yeah. Um, it's, it's, it's if you like it's the freedom of an addict isn't it exactly that you know in one sense a heroin addict is free to not do heroin but addiction is the very thing that there's this overwhelming desire that means you kind of have to do it so it's a, it's, a, it's a funny kind of compulsion in a way you know in principle there's still the freedom that the, the addict can just stop but actually, the desire is so strong; it's almost impossible for that to happen, unless something radical comes in and changes, changes that. And it's, I think it's 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 the same kind of picture as Augustine has. I think of of what it's like to be human, a fallen human, uninfluenced by grace. It's the desires are so strong for what will destroy us mm. that, in a sense, although in principle we're free to choose the the opposite and what is good, actually we can't do it because our desires twist us in that direction time and time again unless the desire is changed and that's the effect of grace and and that's where the, the spirit comes in yeah. i think it is the, the spirit that enables us gives mm. back some mm. of that freedom that, that has been lost both by human beings down the centuries mm. uh, and by ourselves in our wrong decisions yeah. uh, the freedom we've given away is given back to us mm. uh, by the spirit that, and, and enables us to make free decisions again, where because of our addictions, because of our curved in on our selfness, we can't actually make them off our own bat. So, what, what do we what do we reckon about Judas? Can Judas be blamed for what he did? Well, I think this is an easier question, in a sense, than than the other one, because uh, Judas, when, when somebody does a uh, a free action, God may f- foreknow that. But his foreknowledge is dependent upon the free choice, not the other way around. And and we often think it, it must be the other way around. If God foreknows it, it must happen. No, it's because it's going to happen that God foreknows it. So if mm-hmm. Judas had made a different free choice, God would have foreknown that. that. Yeah. So it, 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 you need to get the thing the right way around. God's foreknowledge, all knowledge, is dependent upon the thing itself. Otherwise, it isn't knowledge. Uh, and God's foreknowledge is dependent upon the free choice that we make um and therefore if judas had decided not to betray jesus that's what god would have foreknown uh, the key thing is judas's choice but there's also the really interesting i mean the people uh, judas is a really interesting study isn't he because um you have to ask yourself whether his betrayal was actually necessary um, uh, people knew who Jesus was. He oh. says, you know, you've seen me publicly oh. teaching in the temple. You could have arrested me any time. Um, so you, you get the sense that actually Judas's betrayal wasn't necessary. It was, an, it was a, a, a nice ed, added bit of um, digging the knife in for the authorities because they'd got one of his own to, oh. to be part of that betrayal. But actually they knew who Jesus was. They could easily oh. have got him in other ways. It wasn't only disciples who could have identified oh. him. So um, it, it could have happened in another way. Yes. In the sense exactly. that the, I might say, the overarching plan of God, which involved the death of his son, was 
was going to happen. The precise way in which that was that was going to take place actually was open to all kinds of different possibilities. It could have been one of the other disciples. It could have been simply that they just they just chose to arrest him. It could have been that Jesus gave himself up and without any betrayal. Um, so if if that's the case, does that give us a a kind of an understanding of the way in which these things work out? That you know God's ultimate purpose for the world will be completed. He will bring about the new heavens and the new earth in one it, one day. But actually the precise way in which that happens and the details of it and who's involved and everything else actually is open up for grabs in a sense and is up and is influenced to a certain extent by our choices that we make along the way. Yes, the, the route is a very checkered one precisely because it is working with yep. and around mm. the choices that, that people make. Looking and back, that looks like a sort of predetermined... Yes. Um, list of events but actually it could have happened in a whole other other another way is the destination is sure but the route yeah. can take various different and and ways. actually i mean if you look at the stories of um peter and paul they betrayed jesus um mm. peter betrayed mm. jesus um, by denying that he knew him paul betrayed jesus by persecuting his church they became founders of the church mm. so mm. it was Ju- mm. judas's choice that made judas the villain if judas had with all the other disciples say, mm. said after the crucifixion, I, I completely mm. let him down. I'm mm. so ashamed of myself. He would have mm. been forgiven as Peter was forgiven, as Paul was forgiven, mm-hmm. presumably. It, yes, it's interesting, wasn't it? You know, that perhaps Judas's bigger mistake was not re- was the, the lack of repentance. Not believing he could be forgiven. Yeah. Mm. yeah. It wasn't actually the betrayal, because as you say, that's... We all betray Jesus. To a lot of people. <laughs> His big mistake was not, yeah. not realising that forgiveness was possible. Yeah. Um, I often think with, with Peter's denial, I often think, you know, how did that story ever end up in the Gospels? Mm-hmm. You know, if you were writing the story of the early church and Peter as the sort of great apostle that everyone looks up to, you know, that's the last story you tell mm-hmm. of your great leader. Surely the only way that story got it got itself self into the Gospels is because Peter himself told it. Yes. He must okay. have told Mark or whoever it was who took down the stories, and that's how the story got told because. Because he he saw saw it as a key moment in his own growth of faith and spiritual life and so on, and a key example of of the grace of God, yeah, yeah. Uh, at work in you know, the leader of the church, yeah. And uh, both Peter and Paul then become the the people that Jesus trusts, yeah. Um, and it is precisely uh, as forgiven yes, sinners, exactly. not as people who didn't no. sin. And that seems to me to be saying something so yeah. fundamental about the character of mm. the church. Mm. It's not that we're good, it's yeah. that we're forgiven. Yeah. That's and, and you get the same thing in Paul. You know, I will boast of the things that display exactly. my weakness. Yeah. This is so counter, mm. cultural and counterintuitive. Mm. And the church has mm. brought into a kind of, we must present a, a good face. Mm. Well, yeah. Maybe we shouldn't. Maybe yeah. we should actually face, yeah. present an honest face yeah. and a true face and, and just acknowledge mm. that because in it... Yeah is the extraordinary truth that God accepts and uses people with yep. all their flaws. Coming clean, mm. yes, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it reminds me of that thing about um, Luther. It says, you know, God, God is not opposed to sinners, but unbelievers. Mm. What he means by it is sin is that God can deal with. He can forgive sin. That's not a great problem. Unbelief, he can't do much about. If you don't believe that God can forgive you, if you don't believe that, if you don't trust God, there's not much he can do about that because um, he won't override it. 
And um, and I suppose that's the point about Judas. The, the remarkable thing about Judas is not actually that he betrayed Jesus. It's the fact, you know, the tragic thing about Judas is not that he betrayed Jesus, but that he didn't, couldn't grasp that forgiveness was possible. And there was a there's a <clears throat> fascinating book and indeed a film called The Magnificent Obsession, where somebody kind of realizes that the the teaching of Jesus turns our normal deep rooted practice on its head that by and large we tend to hide our bad bits and promote our good bits Mm. and actually the teaching jesus encourages us to hide our not not to hide our light under Mm. a bushel but but not to parade the good things that we do before people um but to be honest and open about our bad bits and this person determines to do that and it's a kind of radical Mm. Uh, difference in the way that ordinary people yeah. usually most of us most of the time operate and one of the things that really strikes me about judas is that his is what you might call the original sin isn't it it's setting up his own judgment over gods it's assuming that mm. his judgment of himself is the ultimate judgment mm. Mm. Um, and that's something that we're we're prone to over and over and over again isn't it is is actually thinking that we know better than god even about the worst of ourselves um uh, it's hard to be a repentant and forgiven sinner, mm. isn't it? In yes. some ways, we like to think of ourselves as people who are sort of somehow pure from sin in the sense of never having done it. You know, we, I've never done anything wrong. You know, that sort of approach. Actually, to think of oneself as a forgiven sinner is quite a hard thing mm. for us to do. It goes against our pride and our image of ourself. Yes, and people tend to go either for one or the other. They either mm. see themselves as a terrible sinner. Yep. Um, or as as completely so forgiven that you don't actually need to be forgiven and and as as Screwtape says the nearest human beings get consistency is oscillation (laughs) (laughs) but that's another thing of course that Augustine says that's why the Lord's Prayer is the characteristic prayer of Christians that we pray every day to forgive us our sins as we forgive the sins Mm. of others Mm. that's the characteristic nature of of Christians We, we know we're utterly forgiveness dependent and it, and it drills it into us yeah. as we say it. Yeah, and yes. then uh, yeah. hopefully affects how yes. we treat others. Yeah. Well, there you go. You learn something new every time you do GodPod. I mean, for, for people who listen to this regularly, you, you may not know this, but we actually, we don't, we deliberately don't prepare. Um, so we don't I think of, that must be obvious. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it is. Very evident. <laughs> but we, we literally don't know what we're going to ask or discuss until we get into the room. And, um, and the, the delight of that is that sometimes you learn new things that you hadn't really thought about before. So I must say I've learned something new about today, about Judas today. This mm. idea that um, Judas's big problem was not his betrayal, but his lack of receiving of forgiveness. Mm. So um, yeah, there you go. Very good. Mm. Well, we're moving on to the next one. Um, we're moving from free will to aliens. <laughs> <laughs> Do our aliens have free will? This is the question. Aliens have free will. Whether they exist or not doesn't matter. The question is, do they? Yeah, have free that's will? right. Well, the question is. Um, and this arises from Simon, Simon Curtis from Stubbington. And, oh, I know uh, Stubbington. Do you? I used to live near Stubbington. Oh, there you go. Yes. Oh, well, wherever it is. Where is Stubbington? Well, if it's the same Stubbington, there may be lots of Stubbingtons, but the one I know is, is in Hampshire. Oh, Being a Hampshire okay. lad myself. So, you Simon, you'll be glad to know that Mike does not live in Stubbington. No, no, no. no, no. <laughs> moved away, so it's safe to be in Stubbington. <laughs> He's not going to haunt you. Uh, so the question is, uh, it arises out of some of our discussions on evolution and creation and um, all of that. 
But uh, I wondered if you could share your views on one little question I have. Can life on other planets or heavenly bodies be a reality? And if so, could it be intelligent? If it were to be intelligent, could such aliens fit under God's covenant plan? Or was that simply for humanity? And God will subsequently share the new heavens and the new earth only with humans. So uh, we tend to take a rather maybe anthropocentric view of the world, a kind of... um, um, earth-centric view of things now of course we know that there are many more worlds and this is not necessarily the center of the universe um, so what about aliens it could be a sort of speculative question and you might think well who cares because we don't really know but um what are your thoughts i actually think it's quite important to to think it through in advance in case in case it does happen because otherwise <laughs> in case you meet an alien <laughs> on your way home from Indeed, work exactly um, do you know whether or not to convert it? <laughs> well, or, or to ease yeah. it. There are various yes. moral yes. questions here. Indeed, yes. Um, what kind of thing is it? Uh, that had never it. crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> Eat an alien. <laughs> strange thought. Um, it, it, it quest- the question is, what, what is one dealing with here? Yeah. Um, it, it, there may be enough overlap with human beings in terms of intelligence and in terms of creativity uh, for one to say, well, actually, this is a fellow creature made in the image of God, in which case I have to respond to that creature um, with respect, uh, not eating it. Um, and and then, yes, the question of what does one, does one have a missionary duty towards uh, this alien is it, mm. then, then arises. So I think it's actually quite important that we, otherwise, if we discover some, um, we might think, ah, a new f- food source, and and start eating, and then realise mm. actually that they're more intelligent than we thought. That, that there's a, there's a degree of mm. social interaction and moral awareness and spiritual awareness um, mm. that means that we should be dealing the, with them in a different way. How different might it be from, say, our approach to animals, who are not made in the image of God because only humans are, and yet are God's creation. They are, if you like, different life forms from us, but share some things in common. Um, uh, would there be any difference between how we might treat an alien to how we would treat an animal? I mean, I think part of the problem for Christians is that we've got this story called the Bible <laughs> um, that tells us um, about the relationship between human beings and all the created world um, in the light of our relationship with God. Um, and that doesn't at the moment include aliens, does it? So um, and the, and for Christians, the story c- comes to its um, fulfilment and climax in in Jesus, who is a human being, uh, and who draws then draws that whole story together uh, and re-relates it to God, because Jesus is both God and human, and and, and so the whole way in which we understand um, God's relationship with us is is um, human centric, isn't it? Yep. Because of the incarnation. Um, and because of the way in which the incarnation throws light on our role in relation to the rest of creation. Mm-hmm. Um, now, in principle, um, there is no reason why that shouldn't be expanded to um, I- include the stories of, of other planets. So there might be another incarnation of God for another life oh, form well, on another planet. No, that's, that, that's, that, that's, that I'm not entirely yeah. comfortable with. I, there, mm-hmm. there are those who say that. There's a famous carol by Sidney Carter, the person who wrote The Lord of the Dance. Yeah. Uh, call them every star shall sing a carol. There is, yeah. Questioning whether there are 
I can't remember the exact words, but whether there are planets across the, the universe mm. where um, Christ became incarnate mm. uh, and, yes. and possibly died. As a Martian. As a Martian, as yes. a little green yep. person or whatever. <laughs> um, now, I th my understanding of, of Colossians 1 and, and of particularly of Paul's theology is that that wouldn't be necessary, that, that Christ dying... <laughs> Uh, was for all flesh, was for all thi all things. For the whole fact. cosmos. The whole cosmos. Not just for the earth. Uh, uh, exactly. And therefore, I don't think he would need to become incarnate and die in, you know, for other uh, life forms. Yeah. Uh, that's already happened. He's already become incarnate. Mm -hmm. And that will do for the whole cosmos. Now, Does therefore, there might be a missionary duty involved. Mm -hmm. Not one that overrides or ignores whatever experience of God they might have had but one which engages with it and and yet wants to tell the story of Jesus does that that might imply quite an anthropocentric view of the cosmos in the sense that Christ became human as opposed to Martian or whatever else it might be and therefore that incarnation as human applies to Martians and whatever other life forms there may be out there and I suppose I you know just playing devil's advocate on that one you come back and say well Yes, but why? Why humanity? Why not one of these other you know, life forms? Now that we know there are billions of planets out there upon which there may be other life forms, um, is it not just our sort of rather aggrandized sense of our own importance that says that God is you know, that the, the the problems of the entire cosmos is solved by Christ becoming human or God God's Son becoming human as opposed to? Well, I, I, I don't think so because it's not actually. Uh, about ex exalting humanity. I mean, Jesus was born not in Rome, not in a palace, but in Bethlehem in a stable. That doesn't mean that Bethlehem was, in fact, the most important place in the in the empire. Uh, it means that God goes out to the unimportant and the and the neglected and those that are disregarded, uh, and that's where He characteristically locates Himself. Um, so just because God has chosen to become incarnate in a human being doesn't mean that human beings are more important than other life forms that there might be around the world doesn't mean that the earth is the central planet God's usual place to go is to the extremities to the remote places to the overlooked places and to the unimportant places so I don't think it actually exalts us in quite the way it does in some ways but in other ways it, it doesn't but it might mean that we're the problem mightn't it I mean it would be, I mean obviously until you until, until such time as there is any you can hear the stories of other planets. It may be that we are the sinful planet and um, we are the ones who are causing, you know, cracks across the cosmos w with the disruption of our relationship with God. And therefore, that's why God has... But we just don't... I mean, all of it, obviously, mm. all of this is yeah. total speculation. It is, it is speculation. And um, we're often more against quite speculation. Fun, it? <laughs> but it is quite fun to do. And, and C.S. Lewis talks about... Yes, he does. The, the planet has been... Exactly. Our planet has been the one that's kind of cut that's off. silent planet. Silent planet, yeah, cut yeah. off from, from all the good, the good stuff going yeah. on in other places. Yeah. On the other hand, does you know the fact that other planets that we know of seem to be uninhabited and rubble-like oh. <laughs> suggest that the problem is more extensive than just us? Yes, well... Um, there's that verse in Isaiah where it talks about, you know, I did not create the earth to be uninhabited. Well, so what's going on in all those other planets? Then? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, another way of reading Colossians 1 might be to say that, that actually it's simply like the principle of incarnation that is crucial. In that, you know, 
Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of overall creation, by him all things were created, and so on. Um, does that necessarily say that this particular incarnation is the one that saves the whole cosmos? Or could it not be that incarnation saves the cosmos, but also that Christ could, or that the God's Son could have become incarnate in other other races in order to communicate with other planets? I mean, I guess, you know, one of the things we often say, sometimes said is that, you know, we ask this question of if the world had not sinned, if human beings had not sinned, would God have still become incarnate? And I think our answer has often been, well, my answer anyway, <laughs> is, is <laughs> yes, across the he of would have become incarnate because that was always the intention. But it might not have involved the cross. Mm-hmm. Um, now, might that also not still be the, the case for other worlds, other planets, that incarnation is still the way in which in which God brings his creation to a, a fulfillment, but um, that could be in different forms. I mean, the, the other way you could go with all of this of course and it is is that it that the whole concept of incarnation has gradually and increasingly broadened out our understanding of what a human what a person actually is so that be, partly because of the incarnation um the, the first christians began to realize that okay a human being could be a gentile as well as a jew a human being who could relate to god and you know then we began to realize that there could be people of all nations who could be human beings and then we began to realize that perhaps women could be human beings um and the incarnation sort of broadens out your understanding of mm. uh, of what a human being is uh, and increasingly you know, well let me make a wild generalization a, a human being um theologically is somebody who has the capacity to relate to god and to to others um, and that that and relate in that way as gift Um, and you know if that's what incarnation is um, then maybe as if we were to encounter people of other species we would realize that 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 they too are human beings it would actually broaden up an understanding of what a human is if that is what a a human is somebody who can relate to god and to others then intelligent life on other planets could be recognizably human even if they don't look I, like us yes no well, I, I agree with that and and just to go back to, to graham's kind of um devil's advocate alternative <laughs> reading of uh, of colossians one uh, i can't remember which of the nazi leaders it was who said when i hear the word civil civilization i reach for my luger um, <laughs> but i i do slightly the same about principle yeah, <laughs> when yeah. i hear the word principle i reach my luger because <laughs> because everything god does is particular but because you just become the principle of what you're <laughs> <laughs> maybe that's yeah. hmm. <laughs> maybe i need to have a principalian luger right. to yeah. hand. Um, and the, the, there is something particular about the mm. incarnation that God mm. does it in a particular person mm. in a particular. Mm. You know, but could there not be also a, a particular particularity about the incarnation in other well, life forms? The, you get the same problem in, on this planet. You, you do. see that yeah. it's all very well for the people of Bethlehem, but what about the people of Papua New Guinea? The point is, and particularly, they, what about women? Um, what, yeah, and yeah. what about women? Yeah. You don't. You don't see. Papua New Guineans didn't mm. see what happened. They're dependent yeah. upon being told. That's mm. why I think there might be a missionary uh, role to play if we discovered life on other planets, mm. intelligent life on other planets. Mm. Um, telling the story of what happened when God became human mm. at this particular place. Now, we need to listen. We would need to listen to see what mm. their experience of God mm. and what stories they tell, and yep. see whether there's any kind mm. of overlap there. Mm. Um, but but that 
what God, what God was like when he walked the streets of mm. a bit of his creation. That is going to be relevant mm. anywhere mm. and to anything that is communicable to. And I guess the question is what, what continuity might there be between us as human beings and other life yep. forms? Yep. I mean, there is a continuity between the people of Bethlehem and us and Papua New Guinea because we all share human nature. And, you know, in but we've had to discover becoming... that in a way, haven't we? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, because, I mean, previous civilizations have sort of treated slaves, for example, as though they weren't yep. quite human. Yep. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and so it may be that, that we would then discover um, that, that what we think are human beings is a much broader category, you know, people who can relate mm-hmm. to God and each other. And one of the things I would, I mean, you ask the question, you know, well, how does it differ from our relationship with animals? Well, I think one of the things I would look for if one came across a kind of new ape form before deciding how to treat it would be, does it bury its dead? Because mm. uh, there's something that happens that carries one into the, the, some discomfort with death um, going on within that which relates to God. And can relate to God, because there's a sense that we were not made for this. There's something wrong here. There's there's something waiting. Mm-hmm. Uh, that we bury the the dead with some expectation uh, of something new happening, mm-hmm. something that the, God is not finished with this person yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that seems to me to be often a little um, symptom, a little litmus test that there's something more going on here mm-hmm. uh, than in ordinary animal life so when you arrive on jupiter you look for the cemeteries you look for the cemeteries that's right mm. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was angels because again angels are sort of other life forms but not human oh. and how does that relate to this question angels well, are fallen beings well some of them are and that's they one of the okay. that's one of the difficult things yes. isn't it yeah. um that's where it doesn't quite map onto our own experience yeah um and i i what my pet heresy is that i actually think the cross um works for fallen angels for angels too or could yep. if if they would receive it um partly because i don't see any good reason even for satan even for satan if he were to accept it yep. now, whether he will or not uh, is a different matter and origin thought that didn't he origin thought he he would yep. um I'm not sure about that, but I do think that when Paul says all things, he means all things. Yeah. Uh, Revelation, the letters in the beginning of the book of Revelation, to ask, call off on the angels mm. of the churches to repent. Now, I know angel can just mean messenger, mm. Mm. Um, but it would be very odd to call on the postman to repent, not mm. <laughs> the whole community. So it seems mm. to me that probably is some kind of angelic being being spoken of there and being called upon to repent mm. with some expectation that they can. And it would be very odd for God, you know, if if demons couldn't repent, then why d- did God not destroy them as soon as they fell, knowing the damage that they would do? Only, it seems to me, if he wants them to repent like he wants us to repent, does he give them time to repent like he gives us time to repent? It, I mean, it does seem to be the uh, completely inalienable logic of the Bible is that Jesus' death deals with everything that ever needs to be done about sin in any form. That it, that doesn't mean that we don't. Have, we're going back to our free will. That doesn't mean that um, uh, that we then can't sin or anything like that. But actually, any sin that we repent of is dealt with by Jesus' death. I agree with all of that, except the word, of course, inalienable is a slightly unfortunate. Oh, sorry, <laughs> it is, isn't it? <laughs> word in this yeah. particular context. <laughs>
<laughs> aliens <laughs> get, get, get their own back at the end um, well uh, well, we're all very fascinating I bet when you tuned into this god pod you didn't know you'd be wondering about whether there are Martian believers theological science fiction coming up <laughs> <laughs> or whether, whether we have a missionary duty to the people of Saturn Alpha Centauri <laughs> yeah, such people. anyway um, that was god pod 77 and um, fascinating discussions all round. So thank you, At least for us. <laughs> thank you, Jane. Pleasure. And uh, we'll be back very soon with Godport 78. And goodbye from me, since you didn't ask. Oh, well, <laughs> no, I didn't ask, but goodbye from you anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that was Godpod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye.